Thanks for joining us, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gabbing Gauchos. I'm your host, Dr. Steve, and joined, as always, by Dr. Sean Harrington. Head up. And uh, Matt Eisen, the coach of the UCSB team. Engineer. Engineer. Oh, you know what? Actually, I want to give you some shit about that. So, let's... <laughs> so you say that you are Coach Matt Triathlon Engineer. Indeed. But an engineer is something that builds something, so your handle technically means that you are engineering triathlons, but you're not a race director. I'm kind of a race director. I still help oversee kindreds. At least when they get questions, they're all directed at me. So you're basing your entire Instagram handle around that one fact? I'm basing my entire Instagram handle on pissing off actual engineers. Okay, that's a pretty fair point. We've got several engineers in the room. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully more than one listener who has an engineering degree as well. But given the the demographics of triathlon, that's probably a pretty good bet. It is, hence my handle. All right, well. Well, should it be triathlete engineer instead? I think that's what Steve's getting at. Whatever makes them the maddest, honestly. (laughs) Whatever makes them read it and then think about it and then think like, I'm going to get him on this. I got a point. I'm going to get him. Next time I see him, I'm going to tell him about this. That's what I'm going for. (laughs) Because it it causes you to want to interact with you, right? I just want to get under their skin. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All publicity is good publicity, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, so what we got here today on this episode is we're just going to talk about the latest in the professional triathlon field. So there was only really one meaningful race in the last week or month or so, you want to call it, and that was uh, Indian Wells 70.3. So we had actually quite a few people from Santa Barbara racing in that event. Uh, We had our own Big Sean Harry here over on my left. We had our own John Waltman, who we're going to talk to in a minute. And we also had some other people. So we had Jen Shulman did the race. That was her first 70.3. I don't coach her anymore. She doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. We had Julia Bax. Was that her first 70.3? I think so, yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, Okay. And then we had uh, Anya. That was her second or third? Second. Did she do Wildflower, maybe? She she might have done Wildflower. She did uh, Fine Man. Okay. whatever it's called, Santa Rosa now. All right. And then we had Tim DeVisser. Indeed. Um, let's see who else. Tim, Tim didn't race there. But he, he was, took pictures. Oh, he yeah, was just he was, spectating. Yeah, he okay. was riding around the bike course taking pictures. And the run course. Where he wasn't supposed to be. But he looked <laughs> official, so they let it go. That's hilarious. Okay. Anyone else? Or is that everybody? Uh, a, a new local in town, Sarah Billich. She oh, graduated she from Cal Poly, and she did it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Is this she the got... person that you're going to meet with later and, and yes. try to become try her to coach? Recruit. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, now, Sean, obviously you are our resident professional triathlete, and so we're always interested in hearing what you have to say. Uh, What was this race like for you? I wasn't really looking forward to it, in all honesty, coming up to it, uh, because the forecast going in was uh, a little bit chilly, and uh, me and cold races don't really get along. Uh, But wait, you're you're from Wisconsin. I know, it doesn't make any sense. Which gets kind of cold. I can do okay in the cold weather. It's just racing in it. Triathlon adds like the element of swimming. And once you're wet, all bets are off. Uh, I don't do so well going from the water into air. Getting wet does tend to change things. It does. It does. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, uh, I wasn't really looking forward to the cold swim. The water temps were low 50s earlier in the week. Um, it, they had just gotten a bunch of rain, so that was part of it. They'd had some runoff from the mountains, so... It, that drew the temperature down quite a bit. So we were hoping it would warm up. Air temp was okay. Um, lows in the mid forties, which would be when we would start. Um, and those slowly rose over the week. Eventually it was like 46, I think race day morning. Um, so yeah, uh, because of that, I wasn't super excited about it, but it was kind of my last race, my last hurrah, if you will. And I was super excited about the idea that all, all my friends and stuff were going to be there. Wait, last race. What do you mean by that? Last race of the season. So 2018, um, kind of that season. It's been, you know, started all the way back in January with the collegiate stuff and then um, had gone all the way through December. So it was almost a 12-month season for me. And so it was starting to drag on a little bit. Hadn't really had anything more than a few days down. So so does that mean you're moving into a period of, of R&R after this? Yeah, yeah. So now I've had a, I guess, looking at about coming up on two weeks of like, really unstructured uh i can't even call it training um maybe going out the door and jogging a little mountain biking some you know anything to kind of 
stop from putting on the pounds, but uh, let the body <laughs> recover. Sean couldn't gain weight if he tried. No. He was born with a six-pack. Sean weighs 137 pounds. I'll probably weigh about 139 pounds at the end of these two, <laughs> two weeks. And then he'll poop and it'll be gone. <laughs> I, I think you'll actually lose weight, Sean. I think you're going to lose muscle and it'll, it'll turn into... I, I don't think you saw me in the weight room. I, <laughs> I'm going to be pretty jacked, I think. <laughs> John's just crossing his fingers because he wants to make sure that he has an edge over Sean come next season. It's all about the watts per kilogram. So, Matt, uh, what's the history of this race? So, as far as I understand it, Indian Wells 70.3, as run by Ironman, is brand new this year. Can I rant? Permission to rant? All right. Permission granted. Ironman's basic business strategy is to find a race that is doing well and either lowball offer to buy it or if they're positive that they can run it out of business, produce a very similar race right next to it in the same weekend or the same general time. So like Wildflower was run out of business for a year because of St. George. And even though St. George wasn't super popular, Iron Man then doubled down on that and said, well, we're going to offer extra slots to Worlds and call this the North American Championship until Wildflower goes under. Um, so that's their basic MO is to just like, Put up a competing race close by until they get rid of that race. Same for Ironman North Carolina. It was a huge deal when I was growing up called Beach to Battleship. They came in, uh, they put one on one year and ended it the very next year once Beach to Battleship was done. Um, so that's their basic strategy in taking a bigger chunk of the triathlon purse. Anyway, Hits has been putting on a race in Palm Springs for five or six years now it's been reasonably successful except it's in a really bad time of the year i think it's just very hit or miss to race in december in palm springs um hits has not sold to iron man yet they run a couple of other races in the country so iron man is systematically putting on a basically an identical race the weekend after or the weekend before hits to draw from their competition but what is like really frustrating is iron man set it up to run hits out of business and then like the two weeks before they're talking about how unseasonably cold the weather is and how there might not be a, i'm really surprised there was a swim but how there might not be a swim i mean they had five years of data the only reason they put it in december is to run hits out of business hits is moving to october next year to try and get away from iron man so it'll be really interesting to see if uh iron man suddenly has a date change for sometime in late october early november to again directly compete against hits so I just want to chime in on this for a little bit there, playing devil's advocate. So having gone to hits, I didn't actually race the um, half or full there. I think it was about four years ago. And having done Ironman this time, Ironman definitely put on a better event. Oh, Ironman um, is hands down a better event, but it's like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? If hits can only get 50 people to register for their full Ironman, not going to be a hell of a lot of money put into the support so what iron man has is a guaranteed 2,000 people showing up I mean, they put on a 70.3 anywhere in the world they'll have 2,000 people when 10 years ago their biggest 70.3s were 1,500 1,700 people and now the expected minimum is around 2,000 and the maximum like at santa rosa is closer to 3,000 so they can then they can put so on. So what you really need is like a competitor that can actually compete with Iron Man that you need just a, doesn't exist. Yeah, that can actually draw registers. Because I mean, Wildflower actually does do that each year because I mean, it's so famous. Yep. But I imagine if they were trying to start from scratch or like expand too much, it, it would be really hard for them. Yeah, they're never going to have the capital to expand. In fact, they're bigger. The company that owned them, you know, that also did Escape from Alcatraz and a handful of other races, Tri California went out of business. So Wildflower is actually owned by someone else now and is more or less a one-off production as i understand it how are those escape races doing are those terribly yeah yeah that because the the tahoe one got canceled and it it, it seems like maybe surf city is going to be canceled probably um because they they sent out a a memo that the they no longer have the pro at least race i don't know if that means no race in general or is that the one in huntington beach yeah huntington beach so i mean that looked like a super fun race last year um but yeah, it sounds like it's not going to happen. Next well, year. an expa- in a, an escape race sounds kind of expensive. Aren't those generally point-to-point races? Because I know Escape from Alcatraz is. Um, it depends on how they're set up. Some of them, the one in Houston took you on a ferry. I did it before it was an escape race, like 
again like 10 years ago they take you in a ferry a mile off the coast you jump in and swim and it's awesome but i think more of the trend we're seeing is people are not going to pay a premium for a really well put on olympic distance so the olympic distances that are doing well are less expensive local races like carp for us a local anybody everybody has their local race where there's not a lot of fanfare there's not a big expo you can check in the morning of and all of these iron man had it with their 5150 and it also failed um lifetime had it and it's failing or has failed at this point people aren't going to pay 200 250 dollars to do an olympic distance just for what sean talks about like what iron man does with hits but people want a premium in their half iron man or their iron man well, and what Iron Man's got going for it is, you know, you count for the rankings and everything. So you can earn points towards, well, for the pros, they can earn points yeah. towards becoming or staying in the professional field. Um, if you want to become a professional, it takes a big race like an Iron Man that has professionals in order to become professional. So it's it really makes a lot of sense to sign up for an Iron Man race as composed to as, sorry, compared to a regular race. Yeah, and I think triathlon is more of a, um, not necessarily a bucket list, but it's a huge event every year for people. So the trend is also less unique individuals doing triathlons, but 70.3s and Ironmans essentially holding popularity. At least it's not dripping off as much as the total drop-off. So the drop-off is coming from people who... I. I'll get crap for this, actually want to race, whereas they're going to go race, do a sprint or an Olympic. Um, but people who want to go do an event are staying put, and a half Ironman or an Ironman feels much more like an event than an Olympic distance or a sprint that takes people an hour, if that I, makes sense. And I guess the other nice thing is, you know, a lot of people like the draw of being able to race on the same course as the pros do. And so if it was kind of a bucket list item, they would have the opportunity and, and feel kind of included in some way rather than just like the lifers who are going to do the triathlon no matter what. Statistics don't back that up at all. Ironman has been toying with taking away pro fields from races and then inputting them. And um, when I was still had my pro card and was part of the Ironman like pro email thing, I don't think they're doing this anymore, but they used to ask pros a lot of questions and give them updates. And the last year I had my pro card, one of the things Ironman said was, according to our study, you basically have zero effect on entry draw. So if there are no pros at Santa Rosa, it's going to sell out. If there are no pros at Oceanside, it's still going to sell out. Um, where they hope... It seems like where they hope to get people to come, because the little bit that may, is somewhere like St. George, where Wildflower might attract a super stacked pro field if it weren't that for St. George pulling away the Jan Ferdinos, Marinda Carfrey, all the people that we've heard of, St. George is pulling away from that. But as far as the majority of the races, a uh, 70.3 that doesn't have a pro field sells you know, within a reasonable range for them. Uh, gets enough sellouts in exchange for them not having to have a pro prize purse in that race because they're putting up 30 to 50 K. But what does that mean for professional triathlon in general as a professional sport? Because if they're not having an impact on the amateurs at all, what are the advertisers and the sponsors paying for? That's a good question. And this has been the case with pro cycling for a long time too. The teams that are sponsored, it is, kind of like a love sponsorship so teams are pouring in money or companies like team sky is pulling out because team sky is losing a shit ton of money sponsoring team sky every year it's just because the son or the grandson that runs a division of fox really likes cycling like that's why they're getting sponsored Tink tinko saxoff one of the most successful teams in history same thing columbia high road that had mark cavendish one of the most successful teams in history. Same thing. U.S. Postal, Discovery Channel, you name it. The companies don't see a return, but there seems to be always one more rich guy involved in a company that is willing to lose money on an investment. And in the same way with, like, Sean here trying to get a bike and why now it's so much more difficult for a pro of his caliber to get a bike than maybe 10 or 15 years ago is because you name the company they understand how many bikes is sean gonna sell 
versus um, somebody who I'm not going to name any names, but somebody who is like an Instagram influencer who may be a six hour half Ironman person but has 20,000 followers on Instagram, does 10 stories a day, and has people just oozing all over what he or she wears and rides. I mean, if they can sell five bikes a year, whatever company that gave him or her a bike is getting a profit, plus all the free advertising. And I think that's why you're seeing a shift in like what the pros have to do. That I mean, now, as a pro, it's not enough to just be good. I have to go out and you know get a following you know through social media and stuff like that. And so, and podcasts and podcasts. <laughs> no, I mean, exactly. I mean, any way to like get people interested. I mean, and, and it doesn't have to be like superficial stuff, right? Like it can be people genuinely interested in how you're doing and what you're doing, but because there's so much content out there, you know, you have to somehow stand above that. I mean, you're trying to sell, you're a salesman for their product and it's very common for a pro to be making 30, 50 K like an up-and-coming pro, they might make 50K in prize money for two years before they even get a free bike. And would you say, I, I think I'd heard like Jesse Thomas didn't get any sp- sponsorships after he won Wildflower no, it took for a, like year. a year. Yeah. yeah, it took a oh, year wow. for him to get anything that he didn't already have at the start of before he won Wildflower because the result is everybody's interested for a week and then the next race happens and the result that you just had is meaningless. So let's take it back to, that was kind of a long tangent, but let's take it back now to Indian Wells and your race performance. Mm-hmm. So it was a super cold, <laughs> it was a super cold day. I um, mean, okay. And, and like Matt was saying, it wasn't actually a super cold day. It, for what we're used to is super cold. I think as like, you know, Palm Springs goes in December, pretty average. Well, you mentioned uh, temperatures in the forties, air temperatures. Um, I think by the time we got on the bike, it was probably mid fifties. Or low 50s, at least. Low 50s. Low 50s. I think 50, 52, 53. Yeah. So. Well, what I'm most interested in is, okay, last time we had this really long conversation about some issues with your timing chip. And please tell me you didn't have any issues with your timing chip this time. <laughs> no, no issues with the timing chip. I, uh, I did use the little safety pin, so that baby wasn't coming off. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I guess if we want to just jump right in with the race. Um, yeah, let's talk about the bike because, you know, the swim's just the swim. Where did I, you... don't, I don't know if you can say it's just the swim. I know. I know. Steve grew up a swimmer, which is why he can say the swim is just a swim. <laughs> For 99% of the world, the swim is like the scariest part. Steve just cruises and leads the whole yeah. pack. Elitist. Coastal <laughs> elitist. No, I, I think the swim was one of the more notable things in my race. Okay, uh, well, hit, hit me with it. Let's see. I want to hear, hear what's going on. Yeah, so it was... Uh, um, it was an open water start. Um, and so I don't know, most people, when they, when they want to get ready for the swim, they go out and do like a little open water warm up. But like I said, it was 57 degrees and we had to have about 10 minutes before the race from when you would be warming up to when you started, which I know from history, I would be freezing if I got in that water, warmed up for a little bit and got out. So I, I decided not to warm up before, or at least not in the water. So I did just like a dry land warm up, um, which I've, I've done before. So I, I know it it's okay. And I can, I can be successful on that. Um, got in the water with about just over a minute to go before the start. Um, and it actually wasn't as bad as I expected getting in the water for like 57. I think I'd like built it up enough in my head that I was okay. <laughs> well, uh, what were you wearing on your head? I had my neoprene cap, which, um, was smart. I, I learned that at, uh, Stanford last year that that was worthwhile to have. Um, so I made that purchase and anytime the water temps below about 62, I'll always use that. And I, I think we also heard about booties. Um, yeah. Have so, you looked into that since the race? Uh, I haven't. My feet were okay, actually. They didn't bother me. But um, yeah, booties are allowed. Um, someone I talked to about it basically warned me that they kind of fill up with water when you swim with them. And so they can kind of get this weird, you know, sloshy feeling as you're going. Um, but yeah, they might be worth an investment as well. But my feet actually felt okay in the swim. I don't know if anyone listening has done Wildflower, but I would love to wear booties at Wildflower simply for the run up out oh, of the water yeah. on that darn boat ramp. So, so there is a, a temperature cutoff that you can. I We asked the ref, and I think it's like 65. So Wildflower probably is above that, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was last year. I, I'd say mid-60s for sure, but yeah. I don't know specifically. Yeah, so I, can't rem- I can't remember for sure what the temperature was for booties, but there is there is some cutoff, and we were well below it at 57. Um, you know, it could be low 60s too. So Wildflower might be on the border where it would be okay some years. Um, but yeah, so uh, 
for our listeners a little bit about me as I have a very uh, fast stroke rate, which means I can get off the start line very well. And so that was uh, one of my highlights of the race is like, as it started, I was like one of the first ones off, even though we'd actually been warned not to jump the gun. And I was very careful not to. I was one of the last ones to start, but very quickly, one of the first ones out. (laughs) Well, as a track background athlete, I can see how you would get that jump right at the gun. No, I didn't get the jump. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) He just accelerates so quickly that he passed everyone after. Yeah. So I waited, waited distinctively till like the gun went and then it, it doesn't matter um he's very proud of himself. yeah so I, just I, give him <laughs> just props he's, he's had a lot of practice dusting me in the pool in uh similar similar situations yeah it's all about that you know quick start um but yeah so i got out and i you know quickly looked around and realized you know most people were kind of slightly behind me and there was some people off on the edges that were kind of going towards the front um there's maybe a group of i don't know four or five off kind of the right and there was an few people kind of converging from there and uh i kind of quickly found like the group i was going to likely be swimming with um and settled in there kind of found some feet and um the the people that had kind of got away it looked like you know our group was going to let them go um they already had you know maybe 10 or 15 meters on us i didn't think i could bridge that gap and then um i noticed someone else kind of back by us but like slowly pulling away and I decided to, to try to jump on his feet and and just see if I could stay with him. And uh, I, I moved over, got on his feet, and it looked like the group just kind of let me go, let us go. And so the two of us swam away um, and ended up putting maybe about 40 seconds on that group, 30, 40 seconds. Um, and I got out of the water maybe seventh. Is that about? Yeah, seventh. Yeah. Uh, seventh. You were in front of Lionel Sanders. I was ahead. Of, yeah. So that's <laughs> one of the most notable things I've heard about this race. Is everyone keeps texting me. Oh, you beat Lionel out of the water. <laughs> so uh, that seems to be one of the more exciting points. Um, but one of the other things I thought was interesting, I was right with Tim Winslow. Um, so he's uh, another guy that just graduated from college that um, I used to not be able to swim with. So that was notable to be able to, to stay with him. And um, I was really happy with that. So I was pretty pumped about my swim coming out of the water. About as high as I have in a pro field. Um, yeah, definitely. Other than maybe Wildflower, although that was probably weaker swimmers. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I was really happy. I had a pretty slow T1, just trying to get all, like, the warm stuff on, and I kind of screwed up. It, it was a uh, similar. So, to- so let's, let's actually pause and talk about that because I haven't done very many races in the cold. And so putting on warm stuff in a race is actually kind of a new thing for me. And, and maybe many of you out there also feel similarly like what, cause when you're wet, it's really hard to put on things like jackets and gloves and arm warmers. So what is it that you were actually wearing? Yeah. So the two things I put on were socks and gloves, um, socks because my feet, I was afraid would freeze and then gloves, uh, just to try to keep my hands warm. Cause they're the ones kind of seen the front air. Uh, I've, the socks went on okay. I don't. I almost never put socks on a race, so that was kind of weird. But I just basically roll them up, and so you have them almost all the way rows. You put them over your toes, and then just like it unrolls onto your ankles. That's very quick and easy. Gloves are a little bit harder, but what was nice is there was actually the the transition was you you get a bag full of your stuff, and you put it on like in a chair there or whatever, and then you drop off that bag in your other bag with your. I love it stuff. when he says bag. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I'm not Canadian. <laughs> um, How do you say tacos? Tacos? Uh, that's not as, as fun. You got you to get it like when I'm not thinking about it, though, because mm-hmm. I can say it correctly. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I, I got my gloves out of the bag, and I didn't actually start trying to put them on uh, when uh, when I was at the chair. I was basically as I was running to my bike, and I, I actually didn't get them in on quite in time by the time I ran all the way to my bike. Uh, but I also, they, they didn't have like a gap in the middle of the transition to get from one side to the other. So I ended up actually having to run past my bike and around. So I, I totally screwed up like my T1 in that respect too, which I mean, that was probably like, like 10 more seconds, but it looked like I was about 40 seconds slower than most of the other pros, which meant that whole group that I had done so well to outswim just caught me in T1. So maybe you did a little too well in the swim because there was a ramp to cross that divide in the beginning of T1 and maybe all the pros behind you knew that and took that and you had to go the roundabout way. John likes to overthink things. Yeah. <laughs> no, basically I just needed to turn left right at the, be- like right after. You yeah. Right at the beginning. Back. Yeah. But you didn't, you missed that, right? Yeah. 
yeah. yeah. So all the all the pros behind you that you outswam may have uh, taken the proper way. And that's no, what... no. They, I mean, I was like with them. It was already like in the bag section. I like was slow. Uh, okay. I mean, it added on like another ten seconds. Um, but yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter. But the point is, uh, I came out of T T one with that group. So like Lionel, um, all those other guys, we came out together. Um, and I I'm pretty good about getting my feet in my shoes and stuff like that. So even though like there was a few people ahead of me, I kind of quickly moved up in that group, and I I was second or third out of that group very shortly and then once they all got their shoes on then kind of people started kind of going around me how quickly did lionel ride away very quickly <laughs> uh and it was like a uh a, a little bit of a decision there um uh, whether to even like try to hop on his wheel at all or just like let him go uh and i kind of realized everyone behind would be chasing after him so i thought it was best just to let him go and then fall in a little bit later in that group which is what i did they ended up letting them go too um which was probably best for me uh, so I ended up, you know, in a group of about seven, maybe six or seven. It must've been about six. Um, and then just rode with them for the first 30 miles, which was, I didn't realize it at the time kind of made sense later, all tailwind on the way out. Um, we came through 40 K at like 55, uh, which is, I think a 40 K PR for me. Probably. Um, but, uh, then when we turned around and came into the headwind, then uh, it was a lot more of a struggle. My power actually had to go up a little to stay with them. And then uh, maybe around mile 35, I just – someone actually – the person right ahead of me popped off the group, but I was essentially about to pop. And so um, I just basically rode with him all, all the way back and watched my power just slowly drop, but stayed in it enough that like I felt like maybe I was still in the race. Um, when I got to T2, Laura told me I was about four and a half minutes out of sixth place, which is like a bound I can run on down. The edge. Yeah, 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 it's on like the edge. enough. Like I'm like, all right, I might as well go for it. Like you, there's no reason not to. And my first like steps in transition were absolutely awful. Like <laughs> my like the hamstring glute. I think the same thing that had happened like at Santa Cruz two years ago was like cramping. Except for this time, it was actually affecting my running. Um, and so I'm like, there's like a YouTube video of like these two friends. It's like a, them dancing and they're like kind of running funny. You, <laughs> I showed John the video. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Sean's um, cool. It's, it's a little bit older. Either way, the guys are kind of like running with their legs, you know, to the side, like, you know, kind of funny. I saw exactly how I felt like I was running. Um, and so when I left T2, uh, I think I was running like 620 pace or like six minute pace, which is like pretty slow for me. And like, that's just all I felt like I could do. And it was super frustrating and super painful. I was not very happy <laughs> at that moment. Um, and then maybe between like mile two and three, uh, it just kind of like went away. Um, or at least enough that I could like run normal. And I felt like I was running faster. I just watched my average pace like slowly drop and it like just things felt good. Um, and we're out on this like beautiful golf course and they're just winding us back and forth and back and forth. So you know, every few minutes you're kind of seeing your competition that might be like, you know, like a loop and a half ahead of you or whatever. So you can kind of see those people. You don't really have any estimate on time gap, um, but you can kind of see the people you're chasing after. And so I would like picked out some of the guys that I knew were like, you know, somewhere between sixth and eighth. And like, I knew kind of where I needed to get to. And I just kind of put eyes on them and um, just kind of kept doing my thing. And then came into lap two starting lap two there Laura gave me then another time gap and I'd only closed down to about three minutes on um sixth place but she like told me she's like you know fifth place is going straight backwards like he might be the guy you go get um you know you're you're two minutes out of the next person but you're only three minutes out of sixth place so I knew it was going to be like a fairly lonely lap but once I caught people I was going to be like right where I need to be um so I just kind of kept grinding away and it was fun because some of the there's actually like a lot of fans out there there's people like yelling at me like there's one guy as i went by he kind of looked like just like a hardcore fan and he's just like you're the one running the fastest out there <laughs> um so he could just like tell by looking at me that i was running the fastest um i didn't end up having the fastest run split but that's only because damn it lionel those first two <laughs> minutes I, I if you look at our second half my second half is faster than his Classic. um 
But uh, yeah. So with like maybe um, two miles ago, that's when I finally caught the back of that group. And I knew like I was kind of right in it. Uh, and so I started picking people off. And I actually didn't know what position I was. Um, I, with th- maybe three quarters of a mile to go, caught our, our buddy. Curtis. Um, Curtis. Yeah, um, I was looking at that. Was, was he the uh, fifth place that was going straight backwards that Laura mentioned? No, no, he wasn't. Yeah, okay. he was, I think he was moving up or saying about where he was. Okay. Um, but he gave me a nice little shout out as I went by asking who I drafted this time. <laughs> uh, so he, he, had, he had enough. He, he wow. knew it was me. Yeah, exactly. As I went by, he, he gave me this like snide remark again. Um, so what's his last name? Feldner, Curtis mm-hmm. Feldner. Give him a Strava follow. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he, uh, you know, he wasn't very happy. He lives um, in a van. Just keep talking. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so when I got to the finish, uh, you know, I had, everyone was trying to go with me. So like, I kind of had to pick it up to go in. Um, so my, my actual last half mile was pretty smoking fast. He's never placed in the money. Um, and then, uh, I got to the finish, didn't know where I was. At Laura's super pumped, like, just like, yeah, you did it. And I'm like, what place did I get? Because, like, I mean, I don't know. Um, and she's like, you got six. Then I'm like, oh, yeah. So I just took the money from Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, like, the last one that I got. But, no, it was, it was super fun to finally uh, finish that strong. Wow. I mean, that's that's so amazing. Like, congratulations on that. Like, Thank you. You did super, super well. Sixth place. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your what was your prize purse for that? 750 I think. Not bad. Given that you, you your race entry was zero, yeah, and then they took it right out of Curtis's hand. Yeah, I think oh, I mean, that's sweet. That, that, I, w- I would have felt bad about. Well, I wouldn't felt bad, but like I wouldn't have felt too bad. But because he like said that as I went by, like there's so much more satisfaction. Like <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, having had him do that comment that like, he was the one. Oh, I felt. Good. I don't know. If maybe that's why he said it was because he was like pissed because he knew he was in sixth at that point, and he watched it, you know, go away and. I was going maybe 20 seconds a mile faster than him. So there's like no way he was going to match that. How far out from the finish was that? Maybe three quarters of a mile. It was okay. as we were going around the, uh, that like the field ish. Like, so we'd come back like the grass the part. Um, yeah, we hadn't quite got to the grass part okay. yet. Yeah. We were like one turn before that. And you were only like 10 seconds out of fifth. Ended up. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I was closing on fifth pretty quickly too. Yeah. Um, I didn't see him though. I, he was far enough ahead. I couldn't see him. So, oh, but the, the, this is the other thing that was a little bit hard about this race. And so lap one, it was just the pros, but lap two, there was all the age groupers that were doing their lap one. And so, uh, I, the age group, I could never tell, <laughs> like I could kind of tell who the pros were, but it was like, if you're looking off in the distance, you just seen a line of people. So it's like, I don't really know yeah. who's the people I had to chase. So I, I knew Curtis, I knew some of the other people that I'd like biked with. So I knew their kits and stuff. So I knew kind of who I was gunning for in that respect. But um, outside of like people I immediately could recognize, it was hard to like tell who was who I was actually racing against at that second lap. So what was going through your head when you got on that podium? When, when Laura told me? Yeah, well, once you were up there, like receiving your money and oh, you don't and everything, money there. it'll be like six months till I get that. What? <laughs> oh, I was kind of hoping for like a gigantic check or something. Their excuse no. is to clear all the drug testing that they don't do. Yeah, there's that money takes forever. I think Santa Rosa, I, I finally got that check recently, maybe like a month ago. So you know, there's at least four months. And they need to, they need to do better. At least like something ceremonial, you know. And then the question is, does that end up on my 2019 taxes or my 2018? good question well we'll see it's probably based on the Neither. date that's on the check yeah it'll be 2019 then. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> they should give you some kind of form too yeah yeah there's form i'll get a i don't know whatever the the equivalent of the w2 is gambling winnings i wonder if that that'd be really funny <laughs> that's if it, what it falls it, up it falls that. under um the same taxation code as if you won the lottery but I think all my costs I can write against. Yeah, them. you can. So. But you get taxed at the same rate, um, ab- absurdly high, as if it was a gift that you like won, that randomly won. Wow. Yeah. So that means if you're a full-time professional triathlete, your effective income tax rate is higher than someone who's just like in a regular job. Oh, yeah. And it's even worse for like people, like if you are a Canadian, you get hit with Canadian taxes and 
United but States. But you can taxes. normally write the other taxes off against yours. <laughs> okay. So, like, if we had to pay taxes in Canada for winning money there, I think we wouldn't have to pay any U.S. one because it's higher there. Okay. But someone in Canada would pay the lower tax rate of the U.S. Although I think they still have to pay 30% on the U.S., so maybe their Canada ones aren't actually higher. And, and other governments might treat it differently, so I don't know. Hopefully a problem that I can look into later. Yeah, hopefully that becomes an issue. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. should be so lucky. And I'm sure you know someone who at least knows someone who is a tax attorney of some sort or get a CPA. Around all that or... Stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all – you just got to find enough costs that you can write against it. Coastal so, elitists. Yeah. Well, all your travel expenses, for example. Well, travel's easy. R- race entries are easy. Um, Dude. But, I mean, yeah, I'm a hungry boy. Like, I've got to fuel my <laughs> – Did you have a homestay this time? Uh, kind of, yes. Uh, Julie Bakes actually had a aunt that live or has a second home there. And so me, John and Julia were hanging out there in a beautiful place. Bakes. Bakes. You said it like you said, bag. <laughs> <laughs> the adorable Wisconsinite. That should be your tagline or your Instagram handle. The adorable Wisconsinite. Yeah. I like Big Sean Big Harry. Harry. Yeah. Big Sean E. Harry. Get it right. Uh, my bad. No, we still say Big Sean Harry. It's kind of like, was Big Sean Harry already taken, and you had to go with Big Shawnee Harry? No, I mean, there's just like. <laughs> Maybe you should remove the Y then. I hear people well, are already copying it. Actually, yeah? yeah, I saw some douchebag called like Big Johnny Watts. Big Johnny Watts. <laughs> you better produce. A yeah, no, no one likes that guy. No. So that's a nice segue into talking to John because the owner of that Instagram handle happens to be right here. I've been saving that for weeks. <laughs> Follow him on Big, Big Johnny Watson. You know, I, I did get some shit from from Brendan for that. I think he was a little jealous. You're about to get a lot more. Yeah, I realize. That. I don't understand why it's it's good. Of course, you don't understand why you're his hero. Yeah, I mean, we're. What's the big deal? He loves me. He wants to be like me. I don't see the problem. I don't. I don't see the problem either. Well, the Sean John romance has been going on for, or I should say bromance, Bromance. has been going on for quite some time now. Uh, John's history is he actually came through the UCSB program as well, and then he made the stupidest decision of his life and left school to get an actual job for some reason. Yeah, he didn't finish his PhD. He did not. (laughs) PhD dropout. You can see it. This is why he loves Sean. PhD dropout. I mean, I just wish I finished my PhD. I wish I was as good as Sean. But obviously... The amateur life was not enough for you. So why did you decide to really stretch yourself and, and go for this? Uh, so competing at, at the highest level I possibly can has always been just really rewarding for me. Um, coming out of high school, I was in love with basketball. but uh, He's tall. <laughs> not that tall, though. Not, not tall enough. And single. And not... <laughs> 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 that too probably single by choice as i understand it uh, for the most part yes yeah. um so yeah if i could have played basketball in college that's the way things would have would have gone but uh wasn't quite gifted enough for that uh turns out i was a good runner at the time and walked on to the track team at, at ucsb very briefly uh, i was the slow guy so i just never took easy days easy and got injured about three weeks in to training with the team uh it was uh, Achilles stuff, so that kind of lingered for a long time. Uh, so I didn't remake the team the next year, and then I was not allowed to try out my junior year. And then uh, that's when... Why weren't you allowed? There's a backstory there. Yeah, the one. the coach of the UCSB team was not the most loved. I think he was recently relieved of duty. He was. Yeah. I don't know the backstory. That just, I just... Yeah, so... I'm trying to get him in trouble. Just <laughs> play favorites or... Uh, so he, he definitely did not like the hard workers that weren't as fast, such as myself. Um, and well, actually had a, you? you can do nothing for him, except well, getting his hair, asking lots of questions, trying to get better. Just so uh, you can't score. <laughs> yeah. Fair, fair point. Um, I walked on with a group of people actually. Uh, and my, my good friend was, was coaching us, writing training for us. Uh, we, we missed the, we missed the standard. The standard was fifteen fifteen for three miles on the track. We missed it uh, fall for cross-country season, and we made it for spring track season in January. Um, But then basically all of us got injured, and then uh, almost none of us remade it second year. And I believe of the pure walk-ons, so we we actually absorbed some of the recruits that didn't make the standard for whatever reason. 
so we were like the B training squad unofficially, is this which was kind of entertaining. The track club was born. Uh, yes, this is uh, oh, this dang. is IVTC. Yeah, this is the beginnings of it. Bjorn Griepenberg was the uh, the mastermind, the the training plan writer, Coach Griep, and uh, he was actually the one that suggested I do triathlon when I was not allowed to try out junior year. Um, See, so that was 2010. So fast forward three years, and I think I had a seventh overall finish at Collegiate Nationals. Um, nah, who, who's keeping up? <laughs> Eight. Was it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was combined draft legal and non-draft, um, which I think was 18th and 12th, but not everyone did both. So mm-hmm. I get to say seventh. Okay. Uh, and, you know, back, back in the day, Sean was looking up to me. Um, I was the fast guy, and Sean was the new... Uh, Is that what you tell yourself, Johnny, when you what, go to sleep? That's what I tell myself. Makes me sleep well. Yeah, John and, and Will, you know? Yeah. Those are my, my two uh, first influences in triathlon. <laughs> yep. So Sean really didn't know anything about biking and, you know, always needed help. Always still was did. asking me questions. Yeah, that's that's still there. John, 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 you took to swimming really well, right? You got fast really quickly. Yeah, I think in my first year, I went from two-minute lane base to 130 lane base did you have any experience in high school of swimming yeah no okay uh outside of like this is how you don't drown swim yeah but i had no like you know breathing competitive swim background um so yeah swimming swimming came along quite well um so yeah i guess your original question was why why take the step to pro competition um and yeah i'm just a competitive person uh, Sean's my idol, so I get to spend more time with Sean, and now I get to race with Sean and help Travel him out. with me. Get to draft off of him. Share a hotel room. Share a bed. <laughs> I get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Fellow massages. <laughs> candles. Uh, so after college, actually, I um, in grad school, I am a PhD dropout, you guys mentioned. Uh, he has a master's let's give him he has a <laughs> master's. like i feel bad now so i originally signed up for a master's i only applied to ucsb because that's where i went to undergrad uh and got in naturally um and was recruited for a phd program and then tried that out for a year as a detour during my master's and uh decided that i both did not need it and did not like it so finished with my master's as the original plan yeah (laughs) get out while you can yep yeah financially as an engineering major uh makes makes little sense unless you want to be a professor or there's a specific type of job you want to do you want to do like r&d maybe yeah i get to do a little bit of that i'm pretty lucky at uh at toyon research you also get to drive a porsche around with a bike rack on top of it i also get to do that it's quite nice you're also like more like software engineering which is like its own beast a a little bit yeah okay so you you decided to make the the dedication to trying to become a professional triathlete so you start following sean around even more than you had before when did this decision like kind of materialize in your head um so i I mentioned grad grad school after grad school a little bit during i kind of had a break from triathlon uh where i wasn't doing anything structured and is that where you picked up rollerblading rollerblading's i mean that kind of started in undergrad i think uh late undergrad i mean when i was a kid it started but uh you know it came back i brought it back it's it's popular now (laughs) but anyway so i I took (laughs) i can't stop rolling (laughs) Matt just hardcore to practice hardcore rolling his eyes yeah there's a there's a story there for why i don't rollerblade anymore he broke his wrist yeah uh so i took a break after grad school from triathlon got out of shape and there was something missing out of from shape my life. he still had a six-pack <laughs> this, this is who i'm surrounded this is who me and steve are surrounded by like, he gets out of shape and he's more ripped than i'll ever be in, in my life <laughs> okay I was i was quite slow at triathlon you could beat me in almost I can any still race beat you, so. true oh <laughs> i don't know i don't know i don't know he'll beat me next year might, you might have to back it up now <laughs> he'll beat me next year <laughs> So yeah, got got out of shape, and uh, I think think that, think that was my first time not on an athletic team since like I was a kid, and uh, I was not very happy, and discovered that competing athletically and also the sh- social aspect that comes with it 
uh, is something that's really fulfilling to me and decided to, you know, tag along with Sean until he dragged me back in shape. And now I think I'm faster than I've ever been. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So the, the journey getting back into shape and then, uh, getting into good enough shape to become a pro has been pretty awesome and, uh, looking forward to what comes after that. So I, f- I forgot already. How long have, has it taken you since you decided you were out of shape until now? Uh, let's see. I did collegiate nationals extremely out of shape in 2014, I believe. I think I ran a 42 10k. Jeez, even I can do that. Um, and I don't think I started getting back in shape until maybe 2015 or 16. Um, I'd have, I'd like have to look fall back. of 2016 because that's when I started. Okay, yeah. So when not doing stuff with Sean quite yet then. Yeah. And then like that winter you started like tagging along. So that does that deserves mentioning. Like when Matt started, um, I was not a bit the biggest fan of the previous coach. And uh, when Matt came and coached the UCSB team, uh, that kind of gave me a natural path to to come back in okay so it's been a solid two or three years though uh yes at least at least two right right around two i'd say like two i mean just like from my perspective Mm -hmm. the first year was more like hey if this looks fun i'll do it yeah so the the first year was not yeah i think if i remember right around nationals of that year or like i guess it would be 2017 then yeah I think you started showing up a lot more. And yeah. then that's when you kind of got in shape, and then that's when you broke your wrist. Like, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. he just saw Sean getting really fast, and he was like, oh, this <laughs> works. I need to do this. Yeah, I, I guess I did, I did progress into it a bit. That was a nice little subtle shout-out to your coaching there. I know, I know. <laughs> I hope everybody picked up on that. Do you think even back in twenty <laughs> early 2017, like getting your pro card was on your mind, or has that been more recent? Uh, it's been a little more recent. I mean, you, you've had your pro card for a couple of years now, or at least you've had the ability to have it for what, three years? That first year you got second at nationals. Yeah. yeah he could have taken so it then. That 2016. I got it. In, yeah. I, I took it right then. Oh, you took it. Is yeah. that early? Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't really on my mind. Um, kind of the thing foremost in my mind was get back into shape and be able to compete with past John. Um, and kind of when I was realizing I was there, um, maybe about six months ago. Then I was starting to target becoming a pro. So that was the next step. So how has it gone uh, reintegrating triathlon into your life in a, in a big way? Or is it, are you training more hours than you ever did before or? Yes. Uh, so now you're trying to balance that with a job too. Is that going okay? Or does it feel like it really kind of interferes or? Uh, it's actually better than when I was in school. I, I think I spent more, more hours doing school than i do at my job so i think it's actually easier to fit more training in now than than when i was an engineering undergrad in grad school so what would you say your average year um weekly commitment in terms of hours is uh so more recently we kind of said that i ramped up a bit but probably in the last six months between 12 and 15 hours yeah you're gonna for this from january to december you'll average about 10 point including all of the downtime okay, so yeah. 10 point something hours a week yeah so, so yeah so right now yeah. it's pretty low which is shockingly low yeah. yeah i guess that goes to show that you know john has a fair amount of built-in talent a big engine a big inefficient engine <laughs> inefficient did you say well i think uh i think the different so i've thought about this a lot like you could take sean and john and say they're both good enough swimmers to swim as well as they need to to actually like win a 70.3 and sean is definitely like sean's an elite runner john's going to be a good runner in the pro field his first year in and their weakness is both the bike but i feel like they just go about it very differently like sean is extremely movement efficient and movement like everything he does is pretty if you watched it you'd just be like that's it. when he runs slow he looks janky but when he's running fast he, i mean it just all seems very energy efficient and john partially as a consequence of being a bigger guy um has more to lug around but obviously by your watts and your swimming ability you have a big engine um it's just like less efficiency less efficient and you i was gonna say in the swim he looks a lot more efficient than me 
I so that's like a whole other podcast, but like the low cadence, high cadence thing. Like if you didn't grow up swimming, unless you are John Waltman or there uh I've met a handful of other people that can become front pack swimmers, like you almost always have to go high turnover because even a front pack, like it's not that fast. You know, like relatively steep like it's not compared to like trying to be an elite high school swimmer, it's not fast. Yeah, um, no one in triathlon today could touch a high school swimmer that yeah. was competing at CIF, like some kind of national event. Yeah, so you're just trying to get to that point. Um, but like you put him in the gym, and even though John's engine is really big, all of his like gym movements and gym strength, it's pretty enough. Like it's just, he's not utilizing the right, like it's pretty clear, like when he does lifts, like it's foreign to him to utilize a glute in a squat or a hand, maybe not foreign but it's just not been drilled in um, yeah sean actually does more more weight than me on the lunges even though he weighs 30 pounds less yeah big but that's good because there's like there's room for big, improvement yeah there's a big there's like free improvement mm -hmm. with just becoming more efficient yeah so do you think you'll be able to run faster in the 10k um or well i guess 20k for 70.3 distance faster than you were able, able to run when you were a collegiate runner or a high school runner? I think I'm right about there uh, with my peak running fitness. I think I could probably very close to match or maybe beat a little bit my 5K PR. It's like in the 1550s. Um, I think I could run that with maybe a few weeks of sharpening right now. Yeah, and, yeah I agree. And it's yeah, for different. longer races, I think I'm by far in the best fitness I've ever been. Um, I never, I've never really done a – when I was in college fitness, I mean, half marathons weren't really a focus. So so how many 70.3s have you done? Because you haven't been – I mean, you were focused on collegiate for a long time, and there's no real need to do a 70.3 at that point. So when did you really start focusing on the half distance? Uh, I, I did one my first year, um, I think like eight, eight months in. And then all of my other ones, I've done four this year. Um, so five total. Wow. And all four, four of those five have been in the last year. Yeah. That's so crazy. <laughs> and within the last eight or nine months, I think even, even more compressed than the last so year. Wildflower and yeah. Wildflower, Santa Rosa, Santa Cruz and Indian Wells. So was Indian Wells kind of your target for the end of the season where you're like, okay, I'm going to try to make my, my pro card at this race specifically. Uh, I've been trying all year basically, uh, with the exception of wildflower that wasn't really a thought at wildflower um at santa rosa i that was in the back of my mind i guess it's become more and more of a goal as the year has gone on um but at santa rosa and santa cruz i was i was trying to do it at santa rosa i uh didn't fuel myself properly and that race the, the whole when they cancel a swim and then he has a high bib like yeah i started like yeah three quarters of the way back in the field yeah, whereas I got to start in, like, 20th place and have the course with another really fast guy right in front of me the entire day. And John's, like, on his first lap of the run when I'm on my second. Mm -hmm. And yet we're, like, equal in time at that. But it's just... Yeah, like, I don't think it would have made much of a difference because my run was yeah subpar. And then Santa Cruz... Would have beat Rod. Yeah, I would have probably... <laughs> <laughs> Say it louder. I could probably beat Rod. <laughs> we'll have Rod's comment at some point. <laughs> yeah, rebuttal. So when, okay, so you went into San, you went into this race, really hoping that you were going to get your pro card. Yeah, and it's, did it you actually, know? Oh, go ahead. Did you know um, what kind of time you needed to do, or who specifically you needed to beat? I did. I wasn't thinking at all about who else was in the field. Um, Rod actually. I was talking to him a couple of weeks before the race and he was, he was asking me like, Oh, who's, who's at this race? Who are your competitors? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, dude, like, shouldn't you know that? And I was, I told him that it didn't really affect my race at all. What I was doing. Um, basically Santa Rosa and Santa Cruz, I left a lot of time out there for different reasons. And I was focused on putting a race together that I knew that I could do. Uh, and, and it all came together at Indian Wells and, um, yeah, so I was really gunning to get my pro card. I knew I had to go f low four hours. I think I ended up with like 406. 
and uh, that was enough to get me second, and I needed to top three. So at, at what point did you realize that you had succeeded? When I finished, I knew I was in second at the time, but it's, it was a rolling start, and I started at the front. So it was kind of a waiting game to make sure that no one else started further back and went faster. Um, if you go four or six, you're getting it. Like, <laughs> it was yeah. just funny. John was not at all confident. Well, I mean, he was kind of like he was happy. I, he was, I just didn't want to get too happy. He was elated, but like he kept saying, guys, we don't know yet. And I was like, dude, it's been like 50 minutes since the finish. Like we, someone would already be ahead of you yeah. right now. We would know. There's no, no one coming, but John was and like, we, we don't know yet. <laughs> more importantly than that, like four or six number to re-qualify for your pro like the pro card is too easy to get i think like just a little there should be less races um that qualify but to re-qualify you have to get within eight percent of the winner's time which is actually quite difficult like i didn't do it at all this year i've qualified for my pro card several times but um john was within that eight percent barely i i I thought i was just outside of it oh you might have been okay i think it was close but yeah just maybe eight and a half percent or nine yeah um which is like the heart that's what i say like that's if you part. if you can do a race and be at that eight percent of the winner, like you're gonna get mm-hmm. your there are never yeah. three guys that are better than it, that. There, it's kind of funny the way the criteria are set up because there is an eight percent criteria to get your pro card, but you need I think two races. I know 8%. that's a harder way to go about. Yeah, getting and this one was one race top three amateur, and yeah. yeah. Anyways, worked worked out for me, and this was a bit pe- pivotal for next season because now I can get into races that are already sold out in California. Yep. He can go to Oceanside and whatnot. So when did you let yourself celebrate? Uh, I mean, a couple hours after the race, I was, I was pretty sure that I got it. I don't know that I did anything explicit to celebrate, but I was I was quite happy uh, with the result. Did you feel like it just hadn't sunk in yet, or um, yeah, it, it was it was kind of a, a slow a slow sinking in um awards were later that day and we were kind of running around trying to clean up and get ready to to drive home um so maybe by the time i was on the podium it was like it was really solidified so that's that's when it finally felt real was when you were up there on the podium right and then were you just like "Ah!" (laughs) internally yeah In case you haven't guessed, John is kind of a reserved individual, so you won't really catch him like screaming or jumping up and down. Unless you are trying to sprint me, sprint race me on the bike or in a run. That or way. it's after midnight at the shitty kitty. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's got me there. <laughs> Matt's never seen him there, though. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I've only been to the shitty kitty after midnight one time, and I'm never going back. <laughs> Partly because you won't stay up past 9 o'clock. Oh, that's also true. Well, prime shitty kitty time is between 10 and 11. Oh, my bad. Before it gets crowded. Before it gets crowded, okay. Well, I think it's universal in that we are really, really happy for you, and we're super excited to see what you're going to come up with next season. I mean, uh, a second brand new professional coming out of the UCSB program is really, really amazing. So you should guide anyone out there who's interested in um, really getting to the next level should really think about considering Matt as a coach. Because... We've already got it lined up. Next year, we're going to have Gordon. He'll get his card. That'll extend it to three straight mm. years. And then uh, we can have Eddie or Jen, too. Jen. Oh, yeah. She hasn't gotten her card yet. Though. I know, but she, she's She, she wanted to. She... She's tr- she wants to. We'll see if it happens. Yeah, she wanted to. We need, need her to you know, get 20 minutes faster. Out as a coach. Yeah. <laughs> coach by Johnny proxy, Watson. huh? <laughs> yeah. No, nah, I'm, I'm not a coach. <laughs> but yeah, Matt, Matt's been a phenomenal coach. I first saw it with Sean. Sean made a ton of improvement when Matt showed up. And, Thank you. Uh, yeah, and it's clearly worked very well for me to get me back in shape and beyond where I've ever been. Do you ever envision a future in which you might have to quit your job in order to focus more on triathlon? I, I don't really see that, no. Um, I'm not trying to make a living of it. Uh, it's just fun to, for me to compete at the highest level. Um, but what if you want to get better? But uh, Sell me your you, Porsche. You know, the, pr- the predicament is I can't go drive at the racetrack if I quit my engineering job. I, I, don't, I don't think it's a step that I would take. Maybe if... It seems uh, like a step in the wrong direction. Yeah. He's got a pretty sweet life. It's, it's pretty awesome. But he wants to be the best. I mean, he doesn't want I don't to be really the best. To be he the just best. wants to be better than you. Yeah. Once I'm better than Sean, be the then I'll retire. <laughs> <laughs> we 
Well, if Sean gets better and better, though, maybe you'll reach a limit to the amount you can do on a part-time training situation. You know, we like to say I'm always uh, three weeks out from being faster than Sean. I think uh, the number goes down a day every year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, But honestly, I think I'm progressing more quickly than Sean because he's at the flatter part of the plateau. I don't know if that means I'm ever going to catch him, but at least right now, I think I'm at a faster rate of progression what does coach matt think about that i think john can be where sean is right now next year so i think john has a good chance of sliding into the back end of the money at a race next year that's a big jump (laughs) that is that is a very big jump yeah so that's yeah uh, when when you you emailed me after the race and, and said that and uh i guess i was kind of already thinking that but uh um, I think that's a realistic place, but then obviously like if Sean's not moved up at least a couple spots by then, then that's a, a failure. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say failure. That's such a hard, harsh word. <laughs> <laughs> that's a disappointment. Yeah. Do you see the pro field getting any more competitive over time? I think the money is good enough. This is not a knock. Like People take this the wrong way. The money is good enough in short course that the best athletes – the best triathletes like the most gifted the fastest guys with the longest training history are going to stay in itu Mm -hmm. until they're too old to do it and then they're not going to race or they might do one or two years because they're going a if you can even get into the highest level of itu races um like let's say you're the 10th best american at itu stuff you're making more than just about any of the long course guys so if you're a very average itu person you're making way more money uh, yeah do you think if there's a you know recession on the, the horizon how does that affect the sport of triathlon every i mean the company is on the business side of it one of the things you're seeing so providence equity owned iron man they bought it cheap and then it grew in value they just sold it like a year and a half ago for a lot of money, maybe overvalued to an Asian corporation. And now, like you see this whenever something is bought at the peak of its value, that company is now in debt to because they bought it. So they're trying to recoup their money now. So it's somewhat stagnated in growth. They're just focusing on getting their money back for what they just paid for it. And if there's a recession, um, I, even, I even hear it's already like up for sale. They're trying to sell it basically for what they got it for. Um, I mean, it, it would obviously like affect triathlon way more than basketball. So so if you, I mean, like imagine they no longer have prize money for pros. Like, do, do you think that then all of a sudden the pro field will become a lot less deep? I think it would become less deep, but, and this is my honest opinion. I don't think it would change the landscape of long course triathlon at all because the John's an engineer. Sean could be making a lot of money as an engineer basically whenever he wants to. Um, the majority of pros that are competitive have this fallback to where they could just switch it off. And then the ones who are making the most money would still make a lot of money. Lionel Sanders, like Kona's still going to matter. Even if they don't have prize money at there, the sponsors are going to care about it. So if you just took away the pro field and made every race open with very little or no prize money, you're still going to have Lionel, Mirinda, Carfrey, Daniela Reef, Tim O'Donnell, you're going to have all the names that people actually know because they're going to show up at Kona and how they do at Kona or winning the other races, they're just going to make all their money from sponsors. I mean, that's where they're making it anyway. Kona pays a hundred grand to the winner, but Patrick Lang isn't going into Kona desperate for that hundred grand. He's going into it desperate for the hundreds of thousands of dollars that come from the spin of him winning a second one. So Sean and John, you guys are both now focused on 70.3 races. Do you intend to go to the long course distance and then ultimately Kona? Or are you going to be content with 70.3s for the time being? So my my answer is a hard no for several, many years at least. Uh, In the foreseeable future, I do not want to do full Ironman. And maybe that'll change in the future, but I feel like as you get older you your long slow pace drops off less than your less long faster pace 
and maybe maybe that's a point at which I would reevaluate. For the time being, then uh, no, no full Ironmans for me. And I'm at least a year out. So, ask me again in twelve months. See, that's why I have to ask you more than once because you know <laughs> you've got an evolving opinion. And selfishly, since I now have the, I am now the fastest Ironman in the history of Santa Barbara. I don't want Sean to do one. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to get that more plug. reason to do it. Now. I had to get that plug oh, in there. Sean could show yeah. up in like five years when he's done with his pro career and go like eight thirty. Does it count if I don't live in Santa Barbara then? <laughs> I don't know. I won't count it then. I'll, I'll move back. Just <laughs> yeah, okay. You got to live here for a year beforehand. I won't count it then. Just to plug uh, your performance, remind us what you did at Ironman this year. I only did the one. It was Kona. 854 yeah what episode should they listen to to hear more about that i have no idea what <laughs> maybe <number>. five <laughs> listen to them all somewhere there are you gonna try to do it this year too no because once you job. once you get it then you don't need to go back and it's a lot of money i i may do uh i would like to go like 830 or 8 i feel like i could go really i could if i like did one next spring or like an easier course i could go really really well um but i don't want to go back to kona unless i'm like pretty definitely going to be in like the podium for the amateur and i'd be i this year i was 10 minutes off this year i'd probably be like six or seven minutes off this year and then next year i'd probably be really in that conversation but i don't have any desire to go back because i'm not going to drop 10 minutes in a year how how long after the race did it take you to recover? I'm still I'm still a little hurt. That's the <laughs> the uh, they don't you do races they have like a pretty sharp camber if that's the word on the side of the road. So you do a triathlon and you run a marathon on a sharp camber. And my IT band still messed up. Emotionally, I was recovered in like 24 hours because it was so much fun, or 48 hours. But but like fatigue, kind of riding off the kind of injury or. Whatever. Two to three weeks. Two, okay. Yeah. That's not yeah. Bad. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye out for you there in the future, and then also for Sean. And I guess we'll never care about John again. No. Nope. <laughs> but no one likes Big Johnny Watsman. I feel like John did a good job. We oh, have a problem thank, thank of people you, getting scared when we put a microphone in their face. Shout out the Glibert. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know it can be pretty intimidating. Yeah. I did okay. You did okay. We won't have to edit much out. I'm kidding. I think I, I think I popped a bit. <laughs> okay, well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you again, Sean, for the great race report, and congratulations again on, on getting that extra money for the first time. Well, not the first time, but the highest that you've placed so far. 10%. And uh, congratulations to John for earning your pro card. That's an incredible accomplishment, and we can't wait to see you in the races to come and, and see how well you can do. Thank you. So thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.